This podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today is part two of our talk with Deborah Hoffman Wade, who's been in the leather community for 23 years and holds the title of Miss Alameda County Leather 2009. If you haven't had a chance to hear part one with Deb just yet, make sure to go back and have a listen. Now, before we get started today, I also wanted to remind our audience members of our Leather Talk Patreon. Patreon is a platform where you can support the podcast for as little as just a few dollars a month. All proceeds go directly towards maintaining the podcast, as well as ensuring that we can keep hearing these very important personal stories from individuals within our leather and kink communities. Patreon subscribers gain early access to podcast episodes, as well as exclusive access to bonus episodes and other material. And now that my shameless plug is over, let's sit back, relax, and get ready for some more leather talk. couple questions about like i know this sounds like dumb but like like what's it like to be a dyke but like <laughs> but, but i'm curious to know because I, I i remember earlier you mentioned in our part one about butch dykes like in the in the bar as far as like of all the traveling that i've done and maybe i'm not looking hard enough i have not run across very many dyke bars and i'm curious to know like it, like were there more of them back then or are they just kind of secret or like what am I missing here and what were some of like the experiences that you've had in those spaces most of the dyke bars when I came out were in dark alleys or back where you had to know somebody in order to find them mostly because it was illegal and you would get raided and arrested and uh, right. so that changed in the 70s and 80s with all of the gay pride and the gay marches and the protests and all those things and the dyke bars became where you lived hmm. um, and where you met everyone and who you partied with and where you went for celebrations. And so uh, in Minneapolis had four, San Francisco had six or seven. Every big city had women's bars. Most of the time they were women's bars. And so there was not a huge mix of men and women coming in and out of those situations. Mm -hmm. But certainly there were women's bars. I met Sean in the women's bar. I actually met Sean and didn't date her till six years later when I was at the bar for my birthday. And I was with a bunch of friends. It was where you celebrated, where mm -hmm. you congregated. Uh, the sports dykes were there because the bar sponsored the softball leagues. So it, there was the sports dykes. There were the, you know, femme on femme dykes. There were the 
femme, butch femme dykes. There was a mix of everyone as things became much more fluid in the 70s and especially the 80s and 90s. And so, <clears throat> Sean... So Sean was sitting in the back of bar about midnight. I was walked out of the bar to go to my car to smoke a joint, and then <laughs> um, to come, and th- and then we walked back in the bar. And at the midnight bar syndrome is everywhere, where it's just packed bodies and sweaty bodies from dancing and flirting and making out or whatever you're doing and I was squeezing through the bar and someone grabbed my shoulder and pulled me back it was Sean and whispered in my ear I hear it's your birthday why don't you come home with me and I'll make it one you'll never forget and I said no and and the reason I said no the reason I said no this was also a time when when my best friend was a straight woman and it was her first time in a lesbian bar and she was I promised her I would not abandon her in the bar Mm. I promised her I would not do that so I said to Sean I can't, this is why I can't, but give me your phone number, remember, bossy in control, give me your phone number, I'll call you, (laughs) and I did, like, three or four days later, I called her, I set up our first date, I paid for our first date, I decided what we were doing on our first date, and I made her best friend and her girlfriend at the time go with us. So it was because Sean was, Sean walked around with handcuffs on her belt. So it was a little step in that community. Uh-huh. So she kind of scared me and titillated me at the same time. <laughs> so, and we started dating and then the rest is like forever. But uh, wow. the Dyke Bars... That's where you went. So we would drive from Faribault into the city, just like people do from Stockton or anywhere else. Drive into the city, party all night, get home, get home, get three hours of sleep, drink a bunch of coffee and go to work the next day. So, (laughs) uh, you know, at 20, in your 20s, you can do you can that, do that. In, yeah. in your 60s it's not so good but you know it, it it the dyke bars were the place where you learned your culture it's where the women sang there were women's coffee bars it was a whole different experience back then of the whole feminist movement and what was going on then mixed in with the dyke movement and the lesbians and me getting kicked out of a now meeting because I was a dyke and Mm. getting kicked out of the lesbian community because I was uh, a pawn of the patriarchy because I wore makeup and had fingernail polish on and wore heels. And so it was a strange time of um, <clears throat> coming out in a community that was worried about passing and getting laws changes, changed and not upsetting the boat and being a boat. I like to stand up in the boat and rock. So, it, it, and I found other people like that 
in the dyke community. I found other people like that in the gay bars. And I was taken to the gay bars by, for the my very, very first gay bar was my friend Randy and Steve, who both died of AIDS in the 80s, and Ed, who also died in the 80s of AIDS. Uh, they came and they picked me up in a limousine and oh. took me to my first gay bar and we determined that I was going to get laid. And so finding my first girlfriend and getting laid the first time was because three gray men threw me in the back of a limousine and took me to a gay bar. <laughs> I love it. So it, it was it, um, it was a different time and place. Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad that there's so much more now. I think that the gay bars were replaced, especially women's bars, were replaced by other things. They were replaced by women's communities. They were replaced by the exiles and the outcasts and all of the women's education and leather communities that are all over, you know, all over the United States, Fist in Baltimore, and um, there's one in D.C. too, and I'm forgetting the name of it right now, um, something Rose. Is there anything that you miss about that time? Sure. I miss the secrecy kind of mystery kind of thing sometimes, mm -hmm. that it was it was not as open as it was, and there were, I miss the, I miss house play parties because before there were dungeons and all that we had our play parties in houses mm -hmm. so i remember being at a house party and it we played uh we we um stuck a ring in uh in up one of the boys asses and it was a pull and then we played ring toss and we did circus games throughout the whole thing so it was very creative women were very creative about uh, and lots of fantasy stuff, um, which I'm into too. And so it was lots of fun kind of things. I miss those. I, mm -hmm. I do miss those. We still have our dungeons in San Francisco, but there were there were several more of them. And you could do just women's dungeons, just men's dungeons. Um, and they were both all over but those have kind of gone too. So, yeah. and I and I think that you know there are still places like Imsel, Ims, Ims Bubba, Im, uh, um, International um, Miss Leather and um, Boot Black. They have like three different play spaces now. So they have a women's only. However, identify yourself as a woman. You play. You can play here. There's a mixed, open to everybody, and then there's a men's only. However, you identify as a man. Whoever identifies that way. So there was an ability to go in and out of those sort of communities anyway. And because my boy. <coughs> is um trans male we always played in the the open community i rarely play in the just the women's community so and and i lost one of the reasons i left the women's community was um the turf community and the hatred of trans people and I was attracted to butches and trans men so it, it that became an amazingly part of the leather community that has been one of the 
most fulfilling things in my life is the acceptance of trans men and trans women mm -hmm. into fully into our communities, you know, and um, letting people again be who they are. So, mm -hmm. and I think that that because of that, the fluidity in the bars have changed too, mm -hmm. you know. So, and and there were times where you know, you weren't welcome in the Eagle at all, unless you were certain people. There were certain people that could always get into the gay men's bars because that's who they hung out with. Yeah. And were you one of those people or? No. No. Okay. No, no. Most of them were very, very masculine, butch. Okay. Dykes. Yeah. yeah. So who more were more more into that community too than uh, you know. So Joni going into the Eagle went in the sixties was something that she could do mm -hmm. that I w walking into which just made me remember something me walking into a gay bar, men's bar, leather bar, Eagles in the sixties, I would not yeah, no. Is it just no. something that like you wouldn't do or like did you actually experience like I yeah, I've experienced it once when I was doing the California Leather Sir contest and I was the only woman on the judging panel uh -huh. and the 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 actual contest interviews and everything took place at an all male clothing optional resort in Palm Springs. Okay. And I walked in with a parasol, pink parasol. It was hotter than hell in a sundress with a little leather belt on and my leather purse. And the eyes followed me <laughs> from where I was to it. And I felt not. I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. I have five brothers. I'm the oldest of five brothers. I'm not uncomfortable about men's bodies at all. But they were uncomfortable with me being there, and I don't like that. Mm -hmm. I, I personally think everybody deserves to have their space and mm -hmm. be comfortable where they are, and I did not need to be. So they also had me room there, and I chose not to, and I stayed um, graciously with a leather man in Palm Springs who let me stay in his guest house. And so, uh, and, and it's, it's not me feeling uncomfortable. It's, it's being aware of the space, the community and the values mm -hmm. and what's important to these people and why they are here. And am I not intruding, but making them uncomfortable when there's no reason to make people uncomfortable that way. Uh, at least you recognize the space and you wanted to respect the sanctity of whatever exactly. that was. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that with the gender fluidity and the inclusion now, the need for women's bars or men's bars has grown less and less as there are other opportunities and ways to meet people outside of the bars, which were the right. only way when I was one right. of the only ways. So I also belong to a 
it was called the Lesbian Connection. It was an underground newsletter thing where you just sent in your name and your phone number. And if a lesbian came into town, so if you're traveling from New York to Minneapolis and you wanted to know where the gay bar was, you would call me. It came in a brown brown envelope once a month with oh updates. God. And Sean and I were on that list for a long, long, long time and met fabulous people from all over the world. So, that and now so you don't awesome. need to do that, you know? Now so. you have phones and stuff. And it's funny because like, in in some ways, like, yeah, it's like made it way easier. Like I can connect to somebody across the planet right now using the cell phone exactly. in my hand. But <clears throat> I, uh, I recently stumbled across somebody who was selling um, old drummer magazines, like the OG, like 85, 89, whatever, drummer magazine. So I bought two of them, and I was, like, sifting through them, and I saw that there was, like, an entire, like, two or three pages of, like, daddy-seeking son, master-seeking slave. And then there was, like, a P.O. box, and I was, like, thinking, like, I wonder what would happen if I sent it to that P.O. box now. I wonder what that P.O. box belongs to now. Exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. But that was the way the yeah. drummer was how men found each other outside, especially outside of San Francisco, because it was everywhere, you know. Well, there's something but, cool about that, though, yep. too. Like the fact that you have to, like, really invest time into that right. is kind you of You also special. need to know what you're looking for. Yeah, because to put in 17 words, what you're looking for is there, there's an art to that too. Yeah. That, you know, so unlike gregarious people like me who will babble on forever, <laughs> it, it, you know, always, well, you know, yeah. So I mean, now we have like, it's just funny because we waste so much time. Like I've been on recon and, and grinder and there's the, uh, Hey, what's up? Nothing much. How about you? Nothing. <laughs> what are you into? I don't know. What are you into? Like it's like, oh God. Like, <laughs> yeah. No. Tell me what you want. This is how we do it. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, it was much more it was much more direct that way because how else do you do it? Yeah. Um and drummer yeah. a major thing was the classifieds and drummer. And um, you know, finding people and the same with the dyke community and how do you meet people it was an underground sort of magazines that let you did that on our backs for women did it and um you know there was that kind of ways so i think that in some ways it was a more intimate way of meeting mm -hmm. people um but in some but it also limited your scope of people too Mm. So, um, you know, wanting to know larger communities or, uh, you know, I'm an exhibitionist. So two people watching me is fun. 15 people is even better. 230 is even greater. Right. So I, I, it, it's sort of like um, the ability to expand your kink or to the imagination of what your kink could be. And the sex that you could have and who you could have it with and where you could have it, you know, it was greatly expanded by the Internet and the community that's here. And also how you learn about everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you learn about IML? How do you learn about, you know, all of those different things? And how do you get involved in those communities? Well, this is a big reason why I started 
Leather Talk, the, uh, this podcast, is because when I was trying to explore, I I searched on podcast because I'm a I love listening to podcasts. That's kind of like my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I typed in leather, and there was one thing that popped up, and it said it was I think it was called like Leather Couch Talk, and it was like two dudes, straight dudes, talk about football on a leather couch, and I was like, okay, well, there's that doesn't exist, so I'm going to create it, and that's when I kind of started interviewing people, really for right. me to learn from elders and from the people before me and it's kind of turned into this thing which is i mean it's my baby so i think it's amazing but i learn new things every day and to me that's priceless like these stories these experiences that you share with me here on this recording today are going to benefit more people than just me right here right. sitting in front of you right and hopefully that that brandon you know the other person you know 10 20 years from now who types in leather into the podcast search, maybe there's going to be 10 podcasts about leather. Who knows? Right. So that's that's sort of like the trajectory of this. But something I love that you said earlier was when I said, you know, to it seems like leather to you is a, a lot about like family and taking ownership of who you are. And you're like, and sex. <laughs> like, let's not forget about the sex, right? Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it certainly is about sex, too. And so... I think that sometimes we get wrapped up in the political, which is important, and the and of gender issues and equality and all those kinds of things and justice, justice, justice. But I got into it because I like sex and I like yeah. a lot of sex, and it was a way for me to meet sexual partners and to indulge that part of me that is nowhere else other than the swinger community. And I wasn't into that. I was into yeah. the DS and S&M leather community. I wanted the BDSM. So, uh, you know, and I ran for a title because, A, I'm an exhibitionist and like doing that. B, I have a healthy ego that when somebody asked me once, what do I think I contributed to the leather community, the women's leather community? Mm-hmm. And I, my answer is always that fat women can love sex and be comfortable in their body and be sexy and have clothing that fits them, that makes them feel great and can take their clothes off in a room full of people and fuck just like skinny people can. Mm -hmm. And that women need to feel good in their bodies and healthy in their bodies. And I think that's what a title gave me a voice, a larger voice for. If I would not have had that larger voice, I would not have been a writer for Leatherati. I would not have been the concierge at the boot at the boot black booth for Dorian Folsom Alley for years. I would not have uh, produced Mr. San Francisco Leather. I would not have been on the board of directors for Exiles. I would not have had that opportunity or the ability for people to see me and say, Mm -hmm. oh, here's a person, not only is she hot, she's smart. And and so it was, it was opening up of community in a whole different way um, that gives you a sort of platform already to be on. And you have to be ready 
as a title holder to know what that platform is. And so I knew what my platform was in ACLC because they were the producers were fabulous about telling us exactly what was our responsibility as a title holder. And it was about education and um, also about enjoying and learning about sex. When you ran for your title, you knew mm -hmm. exactly what you were doing or did you go you didn't just go into it kind of thinking like this would be a fun experience or no no okay. I, I joined aclc um which like to which i said was was a gender fluid everybody was part of a club i was part of that club i was on their board of directors i helped them organize and plan the contests every year uh, Joan Norrie, who uh, who you should talk to sometime. Okay. Joan Joan Norrie uh, begged, kept every year kept begging me to run, and I'd say no and no and so no. So you were already involved in the trenches, like you knew absolutely, what you were, absolutely, what you absolutely, and that we were a service club, meaning mm. that my responsibility and Richard's responsibility for this title. Richard has many more titles than I do. I only have the one. Um, that title's responsibility was charity. And mm -hmm. so our we our goals always were fundraising for charity. We picked charities, um, both Richard and I picked charities together, and we picked separate charities and we did fundraisers. That was why that title was there, was mm -hmm. to raise money for services. And it was started during the AIDS crisis when there were no services available for the AIDS community. So the dykes took care of us. Them, that's what we did was we stepped up and took care of everyone else. So um, that's what that title was for. Mm -hmm. And I was good at doing that. I'm good at pe meeting people. I'm gregarious. I'm outgoing. Uh, I, I would do that. And, um, and I love sex. And it, it was that positive sex experience, the positive feeling of being a woman in this uh, time and place mm -hmm. and not being squirmy about anything and accepting people exactly where they were and what their kinks were and all that kind of stuff. So, and, and the, the other thing I loved about being a title holder is when you walked in with your sash or my vest and, um, I remember somebody running up to me and saying, <clears throat> John just got a new pair of boots, so we're all going to pee on the boots. So if you want to come over by the sand over here, we're just going to all pee on the boots. And I had this like ball gown skirt on, ball gown skirt on. Oh, gosh. And I said, okay, if you'll be my bridesmaids. And he just kind of looked at me and I said, bridesmaids real tasks is to hold the person's skirts up while we pee <laughs> right before the wedding ceremony so they held my skirts up <laughs> while i peed on these boots so That's those amazing. are the those are the kinds of things and experiences that you would not maybe you would but uh, <laughs> but not know, in the same way not in the exactly same way at all. exactly exactly how many title holders can i have beyond my boots you know kind of <laughs> you thing you know what so, you just gave me a great idea um i'm gonna go to iml next year and see how many men can piss on my boots now <laughs> exactly 
exactly, exactly. You're so, amazing. so oh. it well, was. It, it was. I, I think being a title holder also was. Um, you need to have a healthy ego, which means you have to be kind and nice and not full of yourself. Yeah. But you also have to be sort of strong. My first judging of a men's contest, uh, I had one of my best butch friends in there and all the people around him were making fun of me. Uh, what's this big fat woman doing being a judge at a men's contest? And he said, I knew it was your first thing. I knew it was your first contest, Deb. And I didn't think a fist fight <laughs> would be a good thing. So I just turned to him and said, like, you're Mr. America. And, you know, it was sort of like, uh, but, <laughs> but I, you know, and I think yeah. that's part of being a fat girl all your life is I remember walking into a bar once and some really drunk straight guy saying to me, um, how did you get so fat? And I said, I'm not quite sure, but you know what? I do know that I can always get thin, but you will never get any taller. And he was like, five one. So I was looking down <laughs> at him. And he said to me, that was a mean thing to say. Well, what do you think he... Uh, yeah. That's the other thing that, as a title holder, it's learning to be more diplomatic. Because yeah. my first inclination always is... People always think I'm, you know, like a sweet little Gryffindor and I'm a Slytherin. My first yeah. instinct is to fight, even though I was a nun, even though I was that, I will kill it if you hurt my friends and my family. And I, I will, I'm a fighter. I don't take any shit and I tell yeah. you in the kindest, gentlest way ever that you're an ass, you yeah. know, or you're doing something stupid. So I think that... One of the things that you learn from being a title holder, too, is the interaction with different, all different kinds of yeah. people yeah. Um, and learning to be diplomatic and uh, also learning to be authentic to yourself. And well, that's the thing that, I, that, that gets me is when like like that guy at the competition was like, who's this fat chick on the on the on the yeah. up there? I remember going to a bar here in LA, but this is before I even discovered leather. But there was this older man sitting at the bar, and then this younger man comes up and he's like ordering a drink. You know, he was like 21 or 22 or something, mm -hmm. like hot young thing. And the guy goes, Oh, hey, how are you? Like, how's it going? It was just like a hello. And he goes like this. Put, well, you can't see me because you're on. on <laughs> he puts his hand up and goes, Ugh, and walks to the other side of the bar. To order a drink. And I'm like thinking, like, okay, I'm not going to cuss. But I was just like, <laughs> leave you that have to no me. Idea, you have no idea where this man has been. And the fact that you have the freedom and the liberty to walk into this bar and grab a drink and be openly gay, he might have been part of that right that you have today. And like, you All just right. gave him that attitude. Are you kidding me? Right. You know what I mean? And, yeah. I mean, to lighten it up a little bit, there was. <laughs> At my own bar, the Bullet Bar, where yeah. I'm the title holder, I'm wearing my vest, and and this this um, one of my friends brings some girl in. I don't know who who she is. I don't, maybe they just found each other at a club or something. They ended uh -huh. up somehow ended up at the Bullet, and 
she goes, as I'm walking out, I had like an early morning the next day. So I'm walking out and she goes, um, oh, you, you should come with us to this other bar down the street. We're going to go clubbing. And I was like, oh, no, you know what? I can't. Um, and I don't know if I had said it in such a way that came out as, you know, like L.A. LA vibes or whatever. But she goes, oh, you're fake like that. And like gives me this snarl. And I was just like, I wanted I didn't say anything, but I wanted to be like, do you know who I am? Do you know who you're talking to? Like you're in this bar you're in my I, bar you're my bar <laughs> and i've raised money for this bar to stay alive during covid i've done all these service like i've been doing this podcast i've been working 13 hours a week for this for this title for over two years and you're telling me i'm fake watch where you're stepping you did not build this bar and own the property that it's built on. like okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, yeah but it, yeah. again like you said as a title holder you have to realize Right. That. <laughs> I also I also think as a title holder, one of the best things that, you know, um, I went to a dungeon in San Jose that was a mixed dungeon. And one of the things about being a curvy, big busted, cinched up thing and always I'm always coming out because mm-hmm. people assume I'm straight because I don't look like a dyke. Whatever they might think that yeah. is, I don't look yeah. like it. So I, I always say, you know, my life is a constant coming out experience because people assume that I'm not. So it was a lot of slapping men's hands and um, three oh, wow. um, and thank God for Billy. May she may he rest in peace. Who is my club protector? who really took care of me and for those kinds of things. But I would say that my experience in the gay community is just the opposite. Always respected, Mm. always well taken care of, always. And also in the master-slave community, uh, whether it was the heterosexual community or the GLBT community, they were always... Um, 90% of the time, they were most kind and generous. And I don't know if you knew Miss Margaret. Mm-mm. So Miss Margaret was uh, owned the Northwest Master Slave Contest, which was a whole weekend. And she was this fabulous top dominant woman uh, died of cancer uh, way too young but her and I were walking down the hallway at her contest and some man came up behind us and she had beautiful long hair that was down below her butt so she had a master's cap on with her hair and he came up and grabbed her hair and pulled her And that sort of whole experience of being a femme woman Mm -hmm. and always assuming that we're submissives, for one thing. Yeah. Now, some of my kinkiest... Also grabbing your hair, like... Exactly, exactly. And it happened to us a lot. So it wasn't just one experience of it. I think that's one of the things that's, as a title holder and as a person um, within the sort of leadership of the community is really looking at and the whole emphasis of consent and what that means. I don't 
touch anyone without asking, is it okay to touch you? All those kinds of things that I think came out of those experiences of us as dominant women being assumed that we are submissive and assumed that you want your hair pulled or you want to be touched. Like, exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And there's sexy ways to ask about it too. Like, Absolutely, you know. Absolutely. And I had great role models in Miss Margaret and Queen Cougar and, uh, and Nina and all these dominant female femme bossy women who didn't take any shit, but yeah. were also kind and generous and open and, and that community was important and building trust. And that's how you did it was by organizing gatherings where people actually meet and talk to one another face to face and yeah. negotiate play and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that the, that my title got me more places and shocked more people than anything else, mm-hmm. you know, um, and sometimes because they see me as a dominant bossy woman, but I also like a little pain every once in a while. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you've mentioned a couple times, like in the whole title thing about like how meaningful it was for you to get up and like kind of be the, I, I guess, what would you say, like the role model for, for big women to feel yep. sexy about themselves? Do you remember the first leather sexual experience you had where you really felt like you were comfortable in your body like that? So the very, very first dungeon experience where I did one-on-one experiences with people before I stepped into the bigger community. Mm -hmm. So that was a little different. My first step in to the bigger community was in a dungeon in San Francisco. I went as a bottom to a couple of butches. I walked into this place. There were 200 women in this place. There were crosses. It was hot in so many, both physically hot and energy-wise hot. And I sat, we sat down and Sean was with me. So Sean was sitting right behind me. And I remember being overwhelmed by the energy and say, turning to Sean and saying, I think I'm going to faint now. And I fainted into Sean's arms and woke up to two of the butch uh, people that I were playing that I've been playing with and that were my first experiences one of them unlacing my corset and one of them standing there with a glass of water so they didn't want to go get the dungeon masters or anything because then they would probably ask us ask me to leave because they'd be worried about how I was right. so in that experience I ended up having to go sit outside where it was cooler and just rest my head while they played. I didn't play at all. But after there was a woman, a butch woman named Ruth, who was a a fabulous Native American top woman 
who had finished her play and came out for a smoke and some water and sat down at the table with me. And it was one, it was, which led to one of the greatest, when I think of play, kink, sex, one of the best experiences I've had as a bottom in an experience with Ruth in a dungeon with 300 people in the room and 150 people around me watching. So it it, it was that experience more than anything else opened my sexuality up to everything else that I could be aware of. And Ruth was a leader, um, may she rest in peace, was a leader and beginner and shaker and mover in Seattle and started women's play parties back in the day, the day. Um, Mm -hmm. Ruth was also probably 10 years older than me, um, which at the time that I was joining was and had been in the community for probably 60 years. So, um, and for her birthday, they started a a huge uh, party in Seattle, and I'm forgetting the name of it, but uh, I came to the party, and it was a Mardi Gras theme for the whole weekend. They they had a warehouse space, art warehouse space, and they totally took it over, and it had scaffolding everywhere and crosses and mats and it was huge. It was huge. Wow. And so uh, they had an auction, and uh, the uh, Ruth, was, Ruth was the sheriff, and the sheriff's deputy were auctioning off a wax play scene, and uh-huh. everybody got beads when you walked in the room. So I had this, like, and every time they would walk by me, all my friends would walk by and giggle at me and give me more beads and give me more beads and give me more beads. So I had this, like, neck collar thing of piles of beads. And then what I found out was they were setting me up to do the wax play thing with Ruth and oh. Lore. And so... When the auction came up, I had all these beads to win, <laughs> to win the play. You could, you know, they were doing auctioning all kinds of stuff off. So during the play, we did the negotiations and we sat down and it was me and um, Ruth and Laura, who were the, um, who I was going to play with and uh, Sean, my partner at that time we weren't married. So, um, and Sean and we're doing, and we're talking and we agreed about all these things and we did all that. And then when it came to the actual day, I came in, I had never been naked in public before, um, at any event. And, uh, the first thing was that I couldn't talk. So for somebody who talks all the time, (laughs) it was it was so okay so I can't talk so starting now you can't talk you can't say anything so I did that Um, and then they asked me to take my glasses off and then Ruth said look at me and do this and I looked at Sean and looked at Ruth and Sean had to say she can't see you without her glasses (laughs) <laughs> She's totally blind. Put your glasses back on. I put my glasses back on. So it was a two and a half hour scene where 
I was totally naked. She dripped. Uh, do you know who Jackson Pollock is? No. Okay, he's a painter, and he was a painter that just basically did spots, splotches uh-huh. of color. Look up Jackson Pollock, and you'll see all of that. They took different colors wax, and they totally covered my body in wax. Wow. And then she was down between my legs. I love this part. And she then took her knife and scraped all the wax off my body. And then she she was a bear in the Native American. That was her. And so she drew claw marks on my belly with a knife. Because when she asked me what was the least favorite part of my body, I said my belly. And so that's what she marked and kissed and told me if we whispered in my ear, if we would have negotiated it, I would have licked the blood up, but we didn't negotiate that. And it was, she never penetrated me. She never touched me in any way. And I orgasmed all over the place. And it was a deeply sexual experience for me and a freeing experience of being naked in public and having, I was totally out of it Uh, uh, because I was also tied down. So I was total bondage, four point bondage, waxed, scraped off, needled. She asked me, what was my, what did I need afterwards? And I said, a bathroom and my lipstick. And that's exactly what I got afterwards. And because I'm not a cuddly yeah, I, it's not my aftercare choice. So it was like, just let me go to the bathroom and put some lipstick on. And so that sounds incredible. Af- afterwards, a woman came up to me and knelt in front of me. And I said, why are you doing this? Knelt in front of me and Ruth. And, I, and she said, why are you doing this? She said, because when I walked by, Ruth was between my legs with a candle waxing my inner thighs and the woman when she walked by thought she was fucking me with the candle and the candle went in unlit and came out lit like i was some fucking like i don't know flint or something my pussy was a flint we laughed for years years about that so to me my first experience in a dungeon playing was intense and fun and laughter and connection and I was connected to that woman until she died and I, um and even though I only saw her maybe once a year yeah. so I, I think that's the other thing that you don't that I did not realize was when you're that intimate in that sort of experience it's a connection that doesn't go away yeah. It, it, especially if it's a good experience and they're, they're, they're fabulous people, which Ruth was. So, I mean, it sounds um, like a total out-of-body experience. Exactly. Right? Exactly. In wow. fact, I remember one of the people who did the rope bondage, because Ruth didn't do the bondage stuff, who did the bondage to me at one point, putting his hand on my forehead and say, stay in your body, Deb. Stay in your body. And, and I think that that's one of the amazing experiences when I hear that, not only did I bring myself back to the present rather than go out of my body, 
but it also was an experience of <clears throat> sort of healing, mm-hmm. um, of healing of being an abused kid, of healing and control of my own body. I got to say what I wanted, where I wanted, when I wanted with my body, and nothing was breached. So it was not only a sexual orgasmic experience, it was a experience in transcending pain and turning it into pleasure, that whole experience. And also it was a connection to another person that was deeper than anything I had experienced before. And it was also a healing experience that this body loved what it was being, what was happening, was honored by and blessed by this experience. And therefore, it is legitimate. And just, I have just as many rights to experience love and touch and pain and whatever I want as any other body does. And I think as a sexual assault counselor and healer for years, it's one of the major things about women in BDSM and healing around assault issues and men too, Mm -hmm. because men are abused just as much as women were. And so, um, to have those experiences become a healing experience where I get to control what happens to my body I and I get to let go of control without fearing that I'm going to be hurt yeah. in, a, in, in not a good way. Right, yeah, yeah abused. Like, yeah. You have, have that relinquishing of control, that trust abused. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I, I I think that it just got better from there. So it just got better from there. And wow. yeah. Well, and it was the same it was the same yeah. play party where I'm thinking back and I'm sitting in a in a rocking chair while someone is fucking me as I'm rocking back and forth into their hand. And do you know who Midori is? Yeah. Midori is playing with a group of people next to me, you know. Ruth is playing over here. And so you're getting all this sexual energy that also is all around you. And you're getting fucked. And I look up and somebody's watching me, you know, eye to eye. And you don't drop that eye contact. You don't drop it. You keep it and you hold it and you fuck it anyway like just a good exhibitionist would. You watch me fuck, honey, because I'm good at this. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Of it, it was just, it was one of my most loveliest experiences. So, you're not an Aquarius, you know. are you? No, I'm an Aries, honey. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I have five planets in Aries. Okay. Five. <laughs> So, I was just curious, like, I'm an Aquarius, yeah. and I'm like, a lot of things that you say, I'm like, I feel like we're twins. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, Deb, um, that is incredible, that that experience, and I think, like, just to achieve that, like, out-of-body moment, and that connection, and that yeah, depth, right? like, those are moments that don't happen to people very often, or if not, if ever, for yeah. some people. 
Yeah. You know, those are things that will stay with you for the rest of your life. I mean, and also the whole feeling of I negotiated all of this. So it was within I, your control. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And and it's that paradigm or the the um what's the word that you use when you're it, it's like a contradiction because you're negotiating boundaries, yet when you do this, it frees your boundaries. It takes right. you beyond the, the things that you thought you were going to be and thought you were going to do. That's it. So. You've, hit, you've hit the nail on the head. What makes a good dom, to me, means mm-hmm. someone who is a good leader in the sense that you will share with them your thresholds, your boundaries, what you think are, are your boundaries, of course. But... Mm-hmm. What I want from a good dom is to take me to a headspace to where they've reached me to my threshold and they can take me further than I ever thought I could go. That's when the out-of-body experience happens. It was when you were having that moment and you're like, I can't believe I'm here. I feel safe. I feel like I'm in control of the situation. I feel like I can let go. And I'm my whole trust is in this person. And in a good way, of course. Like, yes, yes, yes. When you've reached those moments where you, you're doing, you're you're in that space where you never thought you could go before because you were led there. Right, right. You know. And, and I have I have to be honest and say, not all my experiences were that way. Right. And uh, and because I started out with people who were so well versed and experienced, I was so lucky that way and blessed with that that i recognized right away that this is i should not be here and this is not good and got myself out of it right Right. away and didn't live within an experience that was going to be bad with somebody who needed to work on themselves Hmm. a little bit before um yeah or we just didn't fit, you know, right. either way. So you just uh, recognize and, that because you've experienced like the, the, right, the real thing. Right. right. And also the poor people who I was a horrible submissive, horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, and I, I like pain and I like bottoming that way, but I was not good at the whole submissive stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. tr- but I thought the culture and in my head, I thought this is where you start as a bottom and you, you know, the whole work your way up into a dom shit, which is not true. But it took me a while to figure out this is, this is what I like. This Uh is what I like. This is who I am. Uh And the who I am is a dominant person who likes leading and being in control but I also like to be tied up and have darts blown into my breast. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's, it's... And you can have both. You, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think Race Bannon is the best one talking about the fluidity even in top and bottoms. Mm-hmm. And that you can do that also. Uh, I would say that I was fluid in some ways and still am in some ways especially around um, needles and pain, which I never said I would never do, but I love now. So it's one of those never say never because you just never know what, and that you can be all of these things and you don't, you don't have to live with it all the time if you don't want to. And you can change and be fluid and go from one to the other. So, but yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Yeah. 
Well, Deb, we're pushing two hours here. So oh my God. I, I think we might have to wrap up. But before yeah. we go, I, I do want to ask you, I mean, like after all of this talk about these experiences and what leather means to you and your journey, becoming a title holder and, and all of this, for those who might be listening to this podcast and really just exploring leather or kink or whatever it may be for the first time and hearing all of this, what would be your advice to those people? I would say, find yourself, be honest with yourself, try things without prejudice, and it's okay not to like things, and it's okay to like things. I would say, find your family, and we have many families, so it can just be, this is a family that's important, that will support you, that will take care of you when you need to, that will um, push you when you need to be pushed, will hold you accountable, will do all those things that healthy families do for you. And I also would think that you, that, you know, honor your own process Mm -hmm. and honor your own beliefs and honor your own values and don't be afraid to change them either because they do morph into different things and you just grow all the time don't stop growing i think that's the major thing of getting older is that i don't stop growing i don't stop learning i still want to continue in my what i do and who i be who i am and the leadership things that i do i'm still a leader in my community in different ways and i think that it's making it a smoother, gentler path for everybody else that comes behind you to also then start with yourself, reach out to community, teach other people, and bring other people what they need and be kind and generous with who mm-hmm. you are and what you know. And I think, and respect. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. there's a, there's an ongoing sort of respect for those who've been before us and the energy of those younger than us who bring so much more to the table and are so gracious and fabulous and even taking leather and whatever beyond whatever I thought it was ever going to be. Mm. And, I, and I just think that no leather isn't dead it's just continually changing and that's how you grow and that's how you live is by continually changing and it's getting better don't it's sort of like don't don't say it's getting worse or it's (laughs) it's It's growing it's it's growing and it's better and there's young men like you and young men and young women who just have the ability to teach and reach out and pass on and help people grow and it's a blessing for you to do that and thank you for doing that it's i think it's what leaders do right Absolutely. thank you yeah. yes you're welcome um i know you're involved with or have been involved with many organizations is are there any organizations or programs that you'd like to plug or do a shout out to here on this episode i think the, all the leather clubs that have been the perpetual backbone mm-hmm. of the leather community. Um, 
and I would say even the men's club, so the 15th club in San Francisco, which I cannot go to any of their events, but those men have been mentors to me, um, especially um, Steve, who is an amazing, amazing uh, man. Steve Gaines is his name. And um, I would say the Leather Alliance in San Francisco, which was a coming together when we were on that, it was also one of the, an amazing, amazing organization. I think the Exiles and Women's Organizations have been uh, great and still continue to teach young women and young women meaning young leather women doesn't necessarily mean they're like in age young but new people coming into the community no matter what age they are right. they continue to teach people and be there for people uh, i i think <clears throat> those are the organizations that i would say are the most important because they're the hands-on places where you learn the Leatherman's discussion group also which mm. is open to both men and women um out of san francisco that's i think run by eric uh will is one of the gifts to community about ongoing education from everything from play teaching to mental health issues to everything i think those are the organizations and alameda county which still today continues to welcome everyone and um be part of that community um i i think the onyx community in san francisco uh, is a brilliant, growing community. Both the women of Onyx and the the men have it's um, their fabulous community. And uh, I'm not part of it, but I'm certainly auxiliary and and support everything they do for POC community and making people and doing um, racism work and all those kinds of things that need to still continue and we still need to work on as a community and as a society. And so I would say that was another group that's fabulous and that I continue to support. So Awesome. And I'll definitely be putting links to those organizations that are mentioned in the podcast today. Deb, before we go, uh, sometimes our audience members like to reach out to our guests and maybe even give feedback of, of what they thought about the show and everything. And maybe sometimes they reach out just to, to say hello. If you're open to it, how could we reach out? How could we stay connected? Is there a Facebook? Is there a an Instagram, a Twitter? <laughs> I do Facebook. I, I At the top of my involvement, I had like, whatever the top was of, I think at that time with 5,000 people. Oh gosh. Um, when I retired, I went down to basically family and friends. So Facebook okay. is not, but, um, it, I am on Facebook under Deborah Hoffman Wade. And if you do want to PM me and talk to me, I usually don't add people I haven't met or talked to like this. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would be, you can absolutely reach me through the messenger on Facebook. I'm on Instagram too. I can't, nice. I think it's Deborah Wade. I'm not on Twitter. I think I have a Twitter account, but this is not my generational right. way. Of right. So, so, um, I was 
the pocket person in the room with the computer in the 1960s when <laughs> it was locked away in a room. So I'm really good at computer stuff, but I don't do all the social media stuff. So I don't do Twitter or anything like that. Also, if you want to give my email address out, I would be more than willing to talk to anyone who needs to be talked to about abuse, about healing, about anything that they want to talk about. I'd be more than happy to do that. And I've done that often in our community. So Absolutely. I can definitely put that in the, uh, the podcast notes. Absolutely. Well. Awesome, Deb. You were amazing. Before we go, any last words for our audience? Um, I want to thank you for doing this and giving me the opportunity to, to babble for two and a half hours. You know, you, uh, it, it's not, unfortunately, it, it, it's not a hardship for me. The hardship <laughs> is staying on point. So thank you always for bringing me back to point. I appreciate it, Brandon. I appreciate so. having you here today, Deb. Yeah. Uh, to our guests, as always, guys, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Brandon Bullet LA. Thanks again for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay kinky. Okay.